Exodus 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we gather together and we praise you for your faithfulness. You are one in whom it is safe and right to invest our confidence. You are one in whom it is right to trust. Father, you have shown your faithfulness to us decade after decade, year after year. And even as Dan was recounting your faithfulness to this congregation, Father, in these last few years, we are very thankful. We are very thankful. You are a faithful God. Father, I pray for the women and the men who are here today who need to be reminded of your faithfulness. Father, we are struggling because our parents are dying. Our parents are sick. We have sickness among us. Father, we are riddled with fear of the future. We have children who feel aimless and wonder if there's any hope in the world today. Father, we live in a country that is riddled with violence and oppression, uh, with hatred, with racism, with fear. Father, we live in a world um, that is filled with war. And we confess to you that the more we hear about it, the more overwhelmed we are, the more overwhelmed we become. And it is often the case for us, Father, that the only way we know how to move forward is to narrow our scope of vision so that all we see is what we vainly seek to control. Father, I pray that to a woman and a man that these next few minutes would be minutes not spent in guilt, but minutes of rest. That we, your daughters and sons, might sit before you and hear your word and be reminded and encouraged that we might know your love for us and that we might leave from this place motivated. Thank you for the songs that we have sung and the women and men who have led us. Jesus, we join our voices with them when we sing that Jesus, Jesus, how we have trusted you how we have proved you over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for the grace 
to trust you more. Would you fill us with grace now? Would you remind us that you are a God who is with your people? It is what we need, and it's what we ask for. And we ask for it in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right, listen, we're going to start a new sermon series. Nathan and I have entitled it For the Blessing of the Nations. And we want us to think about what the purpose is of church, all right? I've been thinking about a lot of you who have been returning back home from your college years. I've been thinking about you coming back and, and wondering how do you feel about the church that you grew up in? Does it, does it seem familiar to you? Do you recognize it? Does it carry the same weight and the same purpose that it had for you when you left? I was wondering what you think about your faith and what you think about the idea of the purpose of your faith. I've been sucked into this book lately that is all about this great and grand purpose. It was the purpose during the 1900s, or excuse me, the late 1800s, of the, the adventurers of the world trying to reach the North Pole. The name of the book is called In the Kingdom of Ice, and there the owner of the New York Herald, James Bennett, hired this captain of a ship, George DeLong, to take a crew of people and to go and discover the North Pole. And the book is about a people with a purpose and what happens to them. I haven't finished the book yet, so if you know the ending of the book, don't tell it to me. I'm just enthralled with it. And I want you to be excited about it. I want you to think about this idea of purpose. And not just purpose for your own life, but purpose with a group of people. It seems to me that these last few years have been hard for us. Hard for us as human beings in this world. So much has changed, right? COVID, politics, the sense of community, radical individualism, increasing isolation, the polarization of our very people that we are with day in and day out. And it's caused us to rethink, rethink the value of church. Some of you are struggling to say church matters. How do I know it? Well, attendance is easy enough, right? But not just attendance, attention. And not just attention, but connection. And not just connection, but worship. It's challenging. It's hard. And I want to recognize this so that you know that you are not alone. Because I believe that you feel this way. I believe that I feel this way. What are we doing? Why are we living where we're living? Should we even go back to church? Does our faith give us purpose, direction, goals? Big questions at the beginning of a big sermon series. This series entitled For the Blessing of the Nations that is going to attempt to show you and not just show you, but to convince you all that the story of the Bible, the Bible itself is a story of the mission of God. That the very theological end of what the Bible is about, the, finally, the final purpose for why God created this covenant relationship with Abraham was that through Abraham's seed, 
all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's our hope in this series that we will trace God's consistent determination to fulfill this mission through the Old and the New Testaments. We're going to see it in a lot of wild places. Genesis, the law, the book of Deuteronomy, the prophets, the Psalms, and into the New Testament. This is the Sunday that immediately follows Pentecost Sunday. We celebrated Pentecost, God sending his Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming from both the Father and the Son to the church. But Pentecost, it is a wrong way to think about Pentecost to think that Pentecost is the start of the mission of the church. Rather, we need to understand that it's a continuation of the same mission that God has always been on with his people. It is the final stage of this mission. It is the age of the spirit in this mission. This spirit is the giving of a new engine of empowerment to the church. But Jesus' assembly, the church, in its purpose is to the same end as God's covenant purposes have been from their inception for the blessing of the nations. I want us to think about three things here. I want us to think about the context of the mission of God. I want us to think about the core of the mission of God. And finally, I want us to think of the continuity, the continuation of the mission of God. But first, let's look at the context. Do you have your Bibles open to page 8? You should keep them open to page 8. I want you to feel what seven pages feel like in the Bible. Pages 1 through 7. I want you to hold them in your hand and I want you to pinch them together. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what's the context of Genesis 12, 1 through 3? The context of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the context of the mission of God proclaimed in this covenant of Abraham is chapters 3 through 11 of Genesis. And you want to know what the chapters 3 through 11 tell us? They tell us the extent to which human sin has impacted not just humanity, but the entirety of the world. We see, starting in chapter 3, the displacement of Adam and Eve from the garden, the murder in chapter 4 of Abel by his brother Cain, the revenge proclaimed by Lamech, and the sexual sins that immediately follow in chapter 6. So that in chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord actually says that the Lord saw the wickedness, that the, uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. That's the context of Genesis 12. And you go, that's not all of it, Bradley, is it? And you go, you're right, that's not all of it. Chapter 6 starts in this narrative of Noah. And you know how Noah's story goes, that God brings a flood of destruction on the earth. And he destroys every living thing except what is saved in the ark. And God proclaims at that point, I will never again curse the ground because of man. And listen to what he says about still the intention of man's heart after the flood. He says, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. But God promises then that there would be no more destruction but rather, he proclaims consistency. Did you hear it in the song that we sang 
with great is thy faithfulness. Did you hear that line, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars and their courses above? The reason that speaks of God's consistency is because God promises after the flood, those things aren't going to change. And I still know that there's a problem. And so the question that comes out of the flood is, what is God going to do? And then in chapters 10, the, the, the table of the nations, in chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, we see that human beings still refuse to obey God, right? They refuse to fill the earth, to go across and broaden over the earth, but rather what they do is they build a great tower. They say, let's make a great name for ourselves. And with arrogance and with hubris, they say, we're going to reach a tower all the way to heaven. We will solve the problem. We will connect heaven and earth. We will do it. Sounds just like Eve when Eve gave birth to her son Cain. Look what I have brought forth, she said. I've done it. But God meets the people at the Tower of Babel. This is the context of the mission of God. And God confuses their languages and he scatters them. And then we see the de descendants from Noah, Shem, all the way down to Terah and to Abram and to Sarai. And we see here at the end of chapter 11, the context of this mission of God, an elderly couple at the end of their life. Their parents have all died. This elderly couple, Abram and Sarai, are childless. If you read this story as it was intended to read, you are reading all the way to the end. There is no more hope here in the line of the seed, the promise of Genesis 3. This is the end. But God, those famous words of Scripture... Look at what one commentator said. Turn to the introduction paragraph at the beginning. In the preparation quote, it says this, the love and power of God must address not only the sin of individuals, but also the strife and the striving of nations. Not only the need of human beings, but also the suffering of animals and the curse of the ground. What can God do next? Something that only God could have thought of. He sees an elderly, childless couple in the land of Babel and decides to make them the fountainhead, the launch pad of his whole cosmic redemption. We can almost hear the sharp intake of breath among the heavenly hosts when the astonishing plan is revealed. There is here in the context of this mission of God, the undebatable end of human hope. And into that speaks God. You hear the echoes of Genesis 1 here again when God speaks. Listen, God could have dealt with our humanity in any way that he wanted to. He could have redeemed the world in any way that he wanted to. But God declared that it was most fitting for him to do it by the use of humanity. And who does he pick? But he picks Abram and Sarai. 
That's the context of the mission of God. I want you to hear the core of the mission of God. The core of God's mission as it's communicated in this covenant relationship with Abram and Sarai is made of two imperatives. The first one is very visible to you. It's verse 1 and it says, go, right? God says it to Abram and the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. The first core piece of this covenant of God, his mission that is to the ends that all the nations of the world would be blessed is the imperative to go, to walk away from is what he tells Abram. And he tells him to walk away from everything that is his earthly security. Everything. Step away from your earthly security. Entrust yourself to my faithfulness. Millennia before great as thy faithfulness was ever written. That's what he is saying when he tells Abram to go. And he says, I will make your name great. What does that remind you of? It reminds you of the goal that the individuals had at the Tower of Babel, doesn't it? That they would make a great name for themselves. And do you see how God is responding to that story? He's saying, listen, Abram, I'm going to make your name great. The second imperative is hidden from you and me because of the way our text translates verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. I want you to see this. God gives Abram an imperative And then he describes that imperative, what it entails. Then God says, and this is what I'm going to do for you. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That idea of so that you would be a blessing at the end of verse 2 is a second imperative. It's not so that you will be a blessing. It actually says this, go, and then it says, be a blessing in verse 2. Now, you can understand why they translate it so that you will be a blessing, right? He's saying, in that you go, the end result is that you will be a blessing. But we miss the force of the core of this if we don't see that it's an imperative. That we go. He says to Abram, go. And then he says to them, be a blessing. And he says there, and you will be a blessing. In the context of Genesis, the things that have been blessed so far is God's creation and ultimately humanity. Be fruitful, multiply, rest on the Sabbath, in my presence. These are the concepts of blessing that inform what it means to go and to be a blessing, as he tells Abram. And just like he did with the first imperative, God says, and this is what I'm going to do. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The core of the mission of God is two imperatives for Abram. Go and be a blessing. And the end of God's mission is that all the families, you want to know another way of defining that word family? You guessed it. All the nations of the earth would be blessed. It is the end, the telos, the goal of God's mission. It is reiterated no fewer than five times in the book of Genesis. 
that God's intent is to bless every nation on the face of the earth. There are two things that we pick up here quickly, and I want you to listen to these. Note that in this covenant relationship, human obedience matters. I'm going to apply this to your life and my life in just a minute, but I want you to first see it in context of Abram. Did Abram go? Do you know the story? Yes, yes, he did. He left. He went. And did Abram seek to be a blessing? Did he answer God in the affirmative to be a blessing? Yes, he did. Every time he had a chance to proclaim the name of God, he proclaimed the name of God in every place where he went. Human obedience matters. But here's the second thing that Nathan and I want you to hear from this text. We want you to see that there is here the doctrine of election. That God goes to Abram who is lost in his idolatry in Babylon. And he makes himself known to Abraham. He elects Abram to be the covenant head. To be the one with whom he makes this covenant. But you want to see something here. That this election of doctrine, this doctrine of election, God's choosing, is not intended for exclusion. Do you see that? It is rather intended for blessing. The intent of God's mission in this earth is that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Do you see it? Is it clear? It is the core understanding of the mission of God. So what do we do with this idea of the continuance of the mission of God, the continuity of the mission of God, the concept that God's mission continues throughout all of Scripture? Well, one thing I'm going to ask you to do is be patient with us. We want to show you that this is God's mission, that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. We're going to show it to you from the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to show it to you, to you, we're going to show it to you from the prophetic books of the kings, from the Psalms, from the prophets. You're going to see and you're going to go, wow, it is God's mission. But I want you to see it in Jesus quickly. Because we know that Jesus is the apex of blessing. He is the seed, as the Apostle Paul will say, of Abraham. The singular seed through whom everyone in the world is blessed. Because Jesus, as Son of God and Son of Man, He is exclusive because there is no one like Christ, is the one who alone could bear the sin of humanity receive its just punishment on the cross, die for our sins, and because of his perfection, be raised again from the dead. The culmination of God's blessing of the nations is through the person and the work of Jesus. But listen to his commissioning. In Matthew 28, what does he say? Does it sound familiar to you? Go and make disciples. Do you see the connection with God's commissioning of Abraham? This book that I'm reading that's about this polar exploration, one of the reasons I've enjoyed it is because they take this ship up there that's like this this sporting yacht. The name of the yacht was called the Pandora. 
And this Pandora was, was a, a good boat, and it could sail through the seas, and it had proven itself worthy. But they had to sail it from New York all the way down around south and back up to San Francisco and into the harbor there in California because they had to, they had to work on the boat. They had to make the boat worthy of the purpose for which it was being sent. They put an engine in this sailboat so that when there was no wind, the boat had an engine. But then they, they, they put around all of the sides of this boat this iron girding, this, this covering of iron so that when it hit the ice, it wouldn't sink, but it could plow through it. In this time that we celebrate Pentecost, it is as if Jesus is saying, in this final stage of my purpose, that the nations would be blessed, we are empowering our assembly, our church, with the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Jesus' commission to the church that we often call the Great Commission is not the beginning of a commission. It is a continuation of a commission. Paul thought the same way about it. I want you to go back later today and read Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 7 simply says this, that those who are of faith in Jesus, who are we called? You know this. Sons and daughters of whom? Abraham. Sons and daughters of Abraham. I totally forgot to tell you how he went from Abram to Abraham. Do you know what the name Abram means? Abram means exalted father. Do you know what the term Abraham means? Abraham's new name? Father of nations. Father of nations. Even in his name is this purpose embedded. But the Apostle Paul argues for faith versus works with the Gentile Christians by calling them sons of Abraham. And he actually says in verse 8 of chapter 3 that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Isn't that amazing? If I had asked you before showing you this, where would you have said the gospel was preached for the first time? I don't know. A safe bet would have been Peter's sermon in Acts, probably. But here we're told that God preached the gospel to Abraham when he said you are saved by faith. And then he says that God preached the gospel to Abraham when he says this, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul actually says that this purpose, that the nations would be blessed, is inherent to the gospel. That it is the first preaching of the gospel. It says in verse 14 there, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Listen, as best I know, 98% of you, you are the Gentiles. We are the Gentiles. Do you want to know what the word Gentile means? Nations. That's what it means. Listen to this phrase again. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham, that through you, Abraham, all the nations would be blessed, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the nations. And then finally, in Paul's argument in verse 29, he says, if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's offspring, right? And we understand that because we love to talk doctrinally about is it by works that we're saved or by faith that we're saved so that we can make this, you know, as sharp as we can. But listen to what Paul also says. If in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We are heirs of the promise that God gave Abraham. That means that we are part of the purpose as well. We are the ones to whom we receive the commands, go and be a blessing. You know as well as I do that the way that the Bible ends in Revelation 7 is that there is a numberless multitude from every nation, it says in Revelation 7, who proclaim before God, salvation belongs to our God. College students, what does this church feel like when you come home? You all are the ones who have been to more churches than any of us have in total. I'll bet you anything. If we just picked out the five or six college students that are here and we asked you guys, how many churches have you visited in the last year trying to find somewhere to worship, trying to find somewhere to be fed, trying to find somewhere where you fit, you've been to more churches. So come back and tell us, are we a church on mission? Are we a church that's filled with purpose? Are we a church that knows what we're called to be about? Because the scriptures tell us that God's mission is that all the nations be blessed. How do we as a church deal with that in the isolation that we feel? The radical individualism that we feel? The polarization that we feel? The anxiety that we feel? The separatedness that we feel? What do we do? I want to end with two questions. They're simple questions. They're directed to you, children of Abraham. College students, remember the song we used to sing? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Well, let's own it for a minute. Children of Abraham, heirs of the promise, will you go? Will you go? This idea of going is unique. To Abraham, it was leaving everything that he knew, all of his earthly securities, entrusting himself to God. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, he goes, while you go. It, it's the way that you live your life. It's everything that you do. While you are going, while you are living, make disciples is what Jesus said. But my question is for each of you, and college students, this isn't just for you. But there's not a person in this room that's too young to hear this question. Will you place your security in Christ and nowhere else? Will you go, heirs of the promise? Will you go? And to what end will you go? That's the second question. Will you be a blessing? Do you know what's happened with me and Mita? And we see it with our children coming home from college. Our life has gotten just incredibly busy. And they're like, 
wait a minute, again, again, again? What is happening? There seems to be so much going on. Will you seek to be a blessing? Will you seek others best? Or will you say, look, it doesn't seem like anybody's seeking my best, so I'm going to seek my best. I'm not going to sacrifice my life for others. I'm going to get mine while I can. I'm going to take care of my tiny kingdom, the myopic view that we think we can control. Are we seeking to be a blessing? to encourage the fruitfulness of our neighbors, to telling them the truth about who Jesus is. I spent this weekend with this woman who really just wanted to fight, and she, she wanted to argue, and, and so I asked her, I said, can I argue back with her? And she was like, oh, please, I want you to argue back with me. And she said, she said I, you know, I think Jesus is a great guy, and I, I think he could be a master, but I just don't want a savior. And I was like, would you please let Jesus be who he is? And he goes, I don't know what you mean. And, and I said, listen, Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And she goes, yeah, I, I, you're right. I don't like that Jesus. That, that Jesus is not so good. And I was like, well, I want you to be honest and quit saying that you like parts of Jesus, but you don't like other parts of Jesus. And she looked at me and she goes, but that makes me so sad. And I asked her, I said, why does that make you sad? And she said, it makes me sad because now I have to tell my sister that I have completely walked away from my faith. And I looked at her and I said, I want you to know something. Now you can be honest. And that's when change happens. That's when change happens. For some of you, you hear this question, will you go? And you say, no, <laughs> I'm not going. I'm going to grab my security. I'm going to carry it around like Linus in his blanket. I'm not letting go of it. Listen, if it were not for you all, my answer would be no too. I'm scared to death to do anything by myself. You guys, we are heirs of the promise called to go and to be a blessing. Some of you feel very distant from the church, and I know that. I know that for various reasons. And if you want to ask me, do you think I feel distant from the church? I'll tell you why I think you might feel distant from the church. But it usually has to do with two things. One, how you've been treated by people in the church, how the church has failed you. The church fails to be a blessing to the nations. We have failed each other in seeing each other and supporting each other. We have failed each other by that. And that's one of the reasons you feel distant. But you want to know one of the other reasons that you feel distant is because you have distanced yourself from the purpose of God, that the nations of the earth would be blessed. And instead we have said, no, we're going to use this Christianity so that we have a clean, well-lighted place in our lives. So that we can take care of ourselves. And the, man, the nations are on their own. This sermon series, I hope, will first affect me and Nathan into repenting that we are men who are afraid to go. And that Nathan and I are afraid to live our lives 
to the end that the nations would be blessed. And if you will pray for us, you will pray that Bradley and Nathan will begin repenting. And that we will come together this summer and see throughout Scripture that God is committed to the blessing of the nations. And that he might do it in part through this church because it's most fitting that he would do it that way. It's most fitting. And then finally, if you feel distant from all of this now, would you be bold enough to pray this prayer? God, would you please, through your word, convince me that your purpose for your church is to be a blessing for the nations? And would you not just convince me, would you compel me to obey? College students, what we want more than anything else is to send you. We want to send you as women and men with purpose. For the blessing of the nations, we're going to see how it is the drumbeat of Scripture. Please pray with me as we come to the table.